Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, friends. Today's guest is the great, the Hall of Famer, Ozzy Smith. How about that? A wonderful and extended conversation with Ozzy Smith. I doubt you will ever hear the Wizard of Oz be this candid, this detailed in his uh, discussions, and uh, even uh, a little uh, salty at times, which I enjoyed, uh, but in a good way. Uh, a lovely man, really interesting guy. Uh, just had a great, great conversation with him. I was in St. Louis pretty recently for the wedding of one of my best buddies in the world, Mr. Benjamin Hockman, who's a columnist, great sports columnist, by the way. You should read him at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And what an extra treat. I got to interview Ozzie Smith. Man, oh, man, it was tremendous. And what better timing than this week, uh, Hall of Fame induction weekend. When you are listening to this, I will be just a few hours away from boarding a plane to Albany, New York, en route to Cooperstown, New York, to celebrate the induction of my favorite baseball player and favorite athlete of all time, Tim Raines, which is awesome. Uh, gonna be great. If you happen to be there, please come find me somewhere. Uh, I'll mention a couple of things I'll be doing actually in town on the Saturday afternoon over at, uh, if you are coming to Cooperstown, that is, at uh, Double Day Field. I'll be signing uh, books along with a bunch of former expos. They're doing autographs, Henry Rodriguez and Spaceman Bill Lee and Wallace Johnson and Oil Can Boyd. Uh, fun, fun, fun. So that'll be this Saturday at Double Day Field in Cooperstown. Uh, I should be there around two to three, uh, but the Expos players will be there pretty much all afternoon, so that's great. Uh, also just flag me down at the induction ceremony for coming for Reigns or Jeff Bagwell or Pudge Rodriguez or you want to celebrate the illustrious uh, career of Bud Selig. I assume you're Bud Selig's uh, family member. Then, uh, yeah, you can uh, come flag me down there too. That that Sunday afternoon. That's going to be great. And uh, otherwise, just uh, tune in, catch the festivities wherever you are. It's fun. Uh, as a baseball writer, it's hard to do better than induction weekend. It's a beautiful little town and all that great stuff. So, yeah, fun, fun stuff. Uh, really excited about all of that and as well as this podcast, which you will enjoy immensely. If you are a baseball fan or you love – God, if you're a Cardinals fan or you love Ozzy, ooh, so much good stuff in here. So, yeah, check out all of that. Uh, and also check out today's sponsor, friends. That is Blue Apron. Blue Apron is fantastic. have used them many times. Literally yesterday we just cooked a nice meal with Blue Apron, cooked some uh, – what was it? Enchiladas, which were excellent. And uh, I got another uh, recipe on the way before I leave town, so I'll be cooking that up too. They're great. They're the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. You make home cooking accessible to everyone, including a total doofus like me. I'm horrible at cooking, and yet I even managed to do this. It is all pre-portioned. Uh, send it all in with the proteins and the starches and the spices and all that good stuff. Recipes are very simple. From the time you pull everything out of the box to the time it's on your plate, it's about an hour or less. Uh, it's great. Not too expensive. It's less than $10 per person for a delicious meal. And this is seriously good stuff, creative stuff too. Uh, this week's, or rather this month's uh, meals include seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers, creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles, what that means, but I'm excited about this, and sweet potato wedges, fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanel pepper, and chili butter steaks with Parmesan potatoes and spinach. Good stuff. I'm a big fan. Like I said, it's affordable. It's easy to do. Really good stuff. And you feel a sense of accomplishment. I cannot express to you. I, I, I'm not even sure I have any talents. Writing is something that I just kind of figured out with reps over time. Maybe my one talent is reaching things on high shelves. So the fact that a totally talentless person like myself can uh, actually cook with Blue Apron says a lot. Uh, you can check out this week's menu also and get this. Get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Jonah. That's Blue Apron. 
Blueapron.com slash Jonah. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible whole cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Thank you to Blue Apron for sponsoring the podcast. And here is this week's episode of the podcast. It is with Hall of Fame Rozzy Smith. And we'll see you on the flip side of one of the greatest induction parties in the history of man. Enjoy. Awesome Smith, how are you? I'm doing great, Jonah, how are you? I'm good, we had a nice uh, chat about various uh, things before we got going. Well, Montreal being the most important one. Yeah, I just think that there's a certain, there's a nostalgia there to it. You know that you could talk about the, oh, I went to play the Cubs, this game, and this, but it was different to go to Montreal in many different ways, I guess. You, You got to play in the spaceship. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that was always interesting riding driving up to the to the big old yeah and um you know i always it was it was always one of those weird things when you looked out there there was so much space behind the wall there it's just just darkness <laughs> and there's something mysterious about the, the big old but it was always one of my favorite cities to visit it was always fashion forward oh yeah i i always loved shopping in montreal mm-hmm. the only thing that we didn't like about it was customs yeah having to deal with customs yeah no nexus card back then <laughs> something like that unfortunately um so this being a podcast we stretch out a little bit it's long form and there are elements of your background, your upbringing, your, even your childhood that are super interesting to me. So we're going to go back for a ways before we get into the other stuff. Okay. And one is um, that you grew up in Watts mm-hmm. during a very explosive time in the history of Watts. Yes. Which Most is... Most times, yeah. 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 So, you know, it was interesting because uh, I, I was born in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. And we moved there when I was six years old. So in 1965... When the riot, when they had the riots, yes. you know, I can, I, I can remember having to sleep on the floor. The I stayed across the street from a, a recreation center yeah. where I used to go over and and get broken bats and we we tape them together. We put little tacks in there, and yeah. that was really kind of our introduction to to, to baseball. Uh, but <clears throat> they uh, the national natural national guard set up camp right across the street. Holy cow! You know, so this was real for. For me and my my brothers, and we only have one. I only have one sister, mm-hmm. and I can remember how dangerous it was because they had a lot of sniping, and um, you could hear gunshots at night. Oh, it was very. I mean, it was yeah. scary times for us. I, I don't think that we had a true understanding of the reason that was going on, but uh, the fact of the matter is, it, it was dangerous times. And I tell people that. Although we, we, we dealt with that, I think the most important thing is that we were able to escape it. You know, right. it, 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 was, it was an experience and a very scary experience, but it's about taking opportunities when opportunities present themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me as a, as a player, 
when I talk to young people now, it's not so much about the pitfalls and the and the hardships and all of this stuff. It's it's about um, learning from them and when they, uh, being prepared when the opportunity presents itself. And the window of opportunity may be very small, but you've got to be ready to go through it. And, and you keep yourself in that position by making sure that you're doing the things that your parents tell you to do, you know, making sure that you get an education, you, you work hard, and you work hard at being the very best you can be at whatever it is you choose to do in life. And I read that your mom was just such a huge influence in that respect. She's like, education, education. Yeah. I, I mean, you also were not six foot six, 280 pounds. It wasn't a given that you were going to be an elite athlete. No, I mean, at the time, Jonah, I had, there was no idea that, you know, things would, would, would be as they were. As I told you, you know, we lived across the street from the recreation center yeah. there. So we used to go over there and watch some of our pro teams play over there. And, and that was really kind of, uh, I, I guess, as I look back, the the thing that was in my subconscious, you know, uh, the game of baseball yeah. and, and watching it, the, watching those guys play it, never knowing that uh, when I decided to uh, to go to college, I had to do some soul searching because I was never one of those guys that got drafted out of the high school. When you play with guys like Eddie Murray, like I did in yeah. high school, and Marcus Johnson in basketball, basketball, that's pretty yeah. good. No, actually, we, you know, it was basketball and baseball. Yeah. So. For most of us, um, you know, but it was, um, I, when I did my soul search, I realized that baseball was really what I loved doing more than anything else. And it was the thing that that stood out from a talent standpoint. You know, the hand and eye coordination was something that was there. I didn't have a lot of size. Right. Uh, and um, when scouts come to, 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 to look at guys in high school, they wasn't a wasn't to find 135 pounds <laughs> shortstop that didn't hit home runs. And, and then they're looking at Eddie Murray, who was just the opposite, you know, who who could hit from both sides of the plate. He was ambidextrous and came from a baseball family and, and stuff. So um, my road to the big leagues was a little bit different than it, it was for people like Eddie. Um, but I beat him to the Hall of Fame. You sure did. <laughs> but, but uh, no, I went to a little small school in Central California called Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. My wife was born in San Luis Obispo. No. She was indeed. I was waiting to drop that on you. What a small world. I love the Central Coast. We're there all the time. It's beautiful. Oh, Bay. It's the best. No, Tascadero. And, you know, all that stuff. All wow. her family, lived, well, much of her family lives, still lives there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But, then, you know, that's just... Uh, it was just a beautiful part of the of the country, and I used to love driving that four that four hour drive. I'd go Great. the back way through the mountains mm-hmm. and stuff, and through Solvang. Yeah, Solvang. Frozen in time. In time, a weird place. Yeah, it was like like a little Dutch place. Yeah, or something. yeah. yeah. Get the so pies. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember those days uh, very well, and and stuff. And uh, people ask me, you know, what would I change? I wouldn't change anything in my life. Yeah. You know, um, the experiences that I've had, and especially going to school there, um, it was invaluable. Yeah. It was invaluable. And I think that programs, a lot of programs, like the Cal Poly program, was, was ran by a guy by the name of Bertie Haar and uh, Steve McFarlane and, and Tom Hinkle. Mm-hmm. The programs were, were, were so good that it was like playing organized baseball in the minor leagues, huh. and some of the low A ball or something, yeah. and I think that that's what's happened today. That's why so many kids can come out of college and, and, and they're almost ready to, you know, they're ready, almost ready for the big leagues, because the programs today are, 
are, are really, really good programs that are ran by people that have been around the game for a long time. I want to double back to that, but I want to ask you also, even though baseball was definitely your first passion, the fact that you played baseball and basketball for a while, it's so different than it is now. Yes. I mean, you're free. Oh, you can throw hard? You're never going to see a football field in your life. Or maybe you're only going to see a football field with a quarterback. But whatever it is, you're going to play this one sport. It's very specialized. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as the advantages and disadvantages of both? The idea of going multi-sport, which everybody in your generation did, versus now where it's so, so rare to see that. Well, what it was back then is it was about giving, having an option. Yeah. You know, you were, you were, you were opting. And if you were talented in both, you, you didn't really know. And there comes a time, as it did for me, where you have to make that choice. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, being five, five, eight, five, nine, I, you know, basketball wasn't going to be it, but being that little dirty kid on the baseball field who could dive and who yep. could run and who could put the ball in play, not necessarily in any power, but the fundamental parts of it, you know, being able to catch it and throw it and run. And that, that I mean, it, it was, it was, it was the thing that was for me. And I realized that and, um, and I, and I stuck to it. And just at the time, that I was getting discouraged. And this happens to, to a lot of us, and especially when you're away from home, yeah. as I was four hours. I was starting to get a little homesick, and I was on the JV team. You walked on on that song. I walked on. Yeah, yeah I, I, went, uh, I, I went to school on a partial academic scholarship. Yeah, great. And so I, I walked onto the program and um, ended up getting a partial scholarship. But and that's what makes my road to the big leagues, to, to professional baseball so much different. Um, but just at the time that I was getting discouraged and I, I got homesick, I called my mom and I told her, I said, hey, look, I don't think this is going to work out. I'm, you know, I, I want to come back home. Oh, wow. She said, son, you have no home. <laughs> you are home. <laughs> she called my high school coach and uh, he called me up and he said, you little son bitch, you're going to stay right there. You're not, uh, this is the best place for you. Quality education, Quality beautiful education, country. Yes, mm -hmm. you're gonna get your education, and uh, you're gonna weather the storm. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I stayed, and it wasn't a week later. The varsity shortstop gets hurt. Here's that window of opportunity. You know, Wally Pippen. There's that, <laughs> there's that window of opportunity. Yeah. Well, I was I I I had, I'd worked extremely hard. Uh, my coach had worked with me on switch hitting. Yeah. And was one of the best things, and I can remember when I first started switch hitting, it was with um, one of those field hockey nets. Oh, wow. Where I had to kind of catch the ball in the net to get the feel of, of, of what it was to swing left-handed. You were, yeah, because the, back then, the idea of switch hitting was more common than the idea mm -hmm. is if you're right-handed hitter with speed but not a lot of power, right. you're out of the box quicker if you're left -handed. If you're left-handed. Yeah. So, he said, there's no reason with your hand and eye coordination and your speed, you can't, you should take advantage of that. Yeah. So, and then this is when I was a JV, so by the time I became a, um, by the time I got to the uh, varsity team, yeah. you know, I had, I, I'd gotten pretty comfortable at doing that. So mm -hmm. when that opportunity presented itself, I stepped in and I never looked back. You know, I, I knew it was a thing that I wanted to pursue uh, if given that opportunity. Not many college uh, seniors get drafted. Yeah. I'll tell you the story that happened to me is um, after my after my baseball season, 
they send you to the players that they feel you know have a chance. They they send you away to play at semi pro baseball yeah. back in the Midwest. The big guys went to Alaska, yeah. Cape Cod yeah, yeah. League, and and all those places. And those were the University of Southern California, Eddie Murray, yeah, those guys. They they went to a totally different place. So so we had to go to places like cornfields of Iowa. And, <laughs> <laughs> Those things. I went to a little small town called Clarinda, Iowa. Wow. That's a long way from Los Angeles. A long way from Los Angeles, but they had sweet corn, so that was, <laughs> that was nice. And I could send some back to my mom. That's cool. And uh, you live with, during the day, you, you work during the day, and you live with families there in in in, uh, in a little small town. Cool. You know, so it was really Americana. And you had to wash your own stuff. You know, you had to clean your own. Clothes. You're learning to be an adult. At this That's point. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of responsibility that went with uh-huh. that as well, and, and stuff. So here again, it was one of those those learning lear- learning opportunities. And then in 1970, 76, yeah, 75 and 76. 1976, my second year back, mm-hmm. I get drafted by Detroit Tigers. Oh boy! Look at this. This, yes. is, this is good. I'm on the board. 135 pound kid. Maybe you're 145 by now. Maybe maybe 137. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> uh, they drafted me. I think in the in the eighth round. Yeah. And they offered me 8,500 dollars. So, so now back then I said, if they don't give me at least 10 grand, they're not going to take a real good look at me. All right. And I said I finished three years of my schooling. Yeah. I promised my mom that I would get my education. Mm-hmm. So. I went back and I said, you know what? If you give me an extra $1,500, I'll sign. And this was at the same time that they drafted Lou Whitaker, Alan Trim. Oh. Yes. And Both of them should be in the Hall of Fame. That's right. And, they, and, they, and they're sending me to Lakeland, Florida. You know, Detroit. Detroit. It's just nice. So in my infinite wisdom, I said, if they don't give me 10, they're not going to take a real good look at me. So, but that's right. Team specifically, the bonus baby mentality. That they're just going to give you. It's not so much fifteen hundred dollars going to change your life. It's it'll affect their opinion of you. That's right. Yeah. So, I went back and they said no. They didn't have it in the budget. Right. So now I'm gambling. I'm, I'm gambling on me. Yeah. And I said, not many college seniors get drafted, but now I'm on the board. Yeah. I'm on the board. So. I get drafted the following year by the San Diego Padres, which was a team that I never, never, ever entered my mind. Right. Because I always saw myself more as an American League, you know, field guy. You know, sure. you think about Mark Belanger. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's fielding right. guy and, and uh, not much offense. God, so, Belanger was good. Yeah. You could pick it. Oh, yeah. Had blade had hands. Yeah. And, and so I get drafted by the Padres, fourth round. I'm thinking, oh boy, this is this is this is gonna be nice here. So being the good businessman that I am, Joan, I signed for five thousand dollars <laughs> and a plus ticket to Walla Walla, Washington, <laughs> where I started my professional career. Oh, and uh that's what that was my business acumen. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I, I've asked play I've had smalls on the podcast, I've had reigns, I've asked guys about their fallback plan. You know, mm-hmm. these are smart guys, right? Smart, smart right? Smart. smart. You said, you know, you were there, you were doing pretty well academically, you were on a scholarship and all this. Did you have a plan B? Well, the plan, the plan B was that um, 
my education was with a teaching background. Okay. In case it, you know, in case it didn't work. Yeah. But you know what? As young players, this is gonna work. I'm gonna oh, of course. Work. If I get a chance, I'm gonna make this yeah. work. I'm gonna do all that it takes to 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 make it. Yeah. Because you know, for us, a lot of us as African American players, it wasn't just about us making it or failing. Yeah. If we fail, it means our family fail. Yeah. Because we we are that out. It's one of the reasons that right now that I think that when you look at the Dominican, you look at Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Venezuela, yeah. uh, Cuba. Sure. It is their way out. So. What do they do? They eat it, they sleep it, they drink it. That's I mean, that really is it. When 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 this is when you know that this is the out. Yeah. And this is the way to a better life. It's a reason that guys are willing to take a chance to get on a raft to go across the water. Of course. That that it, that's it means that it's going to be a make for a better life for my family. Yeah. It's a. It really is heart-wrenching when, when you get to a point in time in your life to where you're willing to take the risk of not making it, you know, because there's no guarantee when you decide that you're going to get on a raft or you're going to get on a, a, a dinghy or whatever. Or something. That's, a, that's yeah. a real gamble there. And so for them, that's how important it is. And it was pretty much the same way for us. Over here, yeah, it was about making sure that you made for a better a better life for your family, and that's what that's what drove you. So, failure was never an option. Hmm. It was never an option. So, uh, that that's one of the things that drove me. Uh, it's one of the things that kept me up at night. Um, but I made it. You did. I made it. Um. We're gonna. I want to jump ahead for a second and bounce off of that point. It's just the fact that uh, the baseball world is not. <coughs> bless you. Thank you. Is not nearly as well inhabited by black players now as it was before. Now, more Japanese players, more Cuban players. More. That's great. That's all great. More worldly. More worldly for sure. But uh, it's it's just it's been a steep decline. And you know we 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 shut, called out so many great names from that. Era, era, who all happen to be African American, it's different now. What can baseball do to try to stem the tide a little bit, or is it just Jonah? You know, yeah, I, yeah you get asked this question a lot, For and, sure. I, and I've thought about it a lot. And you know, the only thing that I've really been able to come up with something that's going to make a real impact, I think, is for us to be able to take ex-players, ex-big league players mm -hmm. from each city and say that we would like for you to go into the inner city and build yourself a team. Oh, that's interesting. Build yourself a team. Get the best players that you can find Yeah. to build yourself a team. You do that in each city, and then you create this league, and you do it in conjunction with Major League Baseball. And they funds it and all that stuff. They fund yeah. it, and they they get a chance to they get a chance to travel. Mm -hmm. 
they get a chance to grow as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you love the game, and the game is the is 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 what we're trying to grow. But I think that there was be so much more of an opportunity for guys to um, to learn. And I think that that's probably going to be the only way that you're going to get the numbers back up to where they're respectable. Yeah. And I think that the guys that you get, if you get the right guys who who understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and what it is you're trying to achieve, I think it will make one the biggest difference that that we that we could at this particular time. Yeah. I mean, there's the RBI, the RBI baseball program. There are things going on, but if it's I'm making it up. If it's Eddie Murray, I mean, it's, right. he's coming into Baltimore. That's a whole other it's level of problem. Yeah. It's, it's, it's taking those level of yeah. players and, 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 and allowing them to, you know, put together the team and find the, the, the people. And, and you know it's going to be competitive because you, we want to win and, and stuff. And I think that that's one, of, that's one of the ways that I've been kind of thinking of, of how that could happen. Hmm. I like it. Um, you know, we talked about you transitioning to switch hitting, you get drafted, you start to make your way into professional baseball, uh, but obviously defense became your calling card, statistically maybe the greatest defensive shortstop of all time. I always wonder about this. You worked your butt off, and you have talent. How does that go when it comes, you can think about pitching, hitting, whatever, but with defense specifically, is it just taking a trillion reps at short? Or is it? Oh, you know what? I I just have this. No, 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 no. Be it offense or defense. Yeah. Or you know your God given talent, whatever it is. Yeah. To maintain it, you still got to work at it. Yeah. You can't you can't sit on your laurels that hey you know what and that's that's what's destroyed a lot of guys who Mm. were very talented. There were probably a lot more people, a lot more talented than than I was. You know the guy I got traded for. Think about this. Hamilton was a very talented player. Let me tell you, he's probably the one, one of the most talented players to ever don a pair of spikes. He's a true 5-2 player. Yep. Could hit for power, average, could throw, could run like a deer. Did it all. He did it all. And to this day, you know, when you get traded for a player like that, you know, you always question yourself as to whether or not you're as good as you think. It was a challenge trade. Those trades challenge. never happened now. That's right. It's one pitcher for five prospects. That's right. Yeah. It, it's, it was really a challenge, yeah. you know, because I was going from a situation where it was a revolving door yeah. to an organization and team that were going to be depending on me day in and day out. So, Ozzy, you think you're good. Yeah. How good are you? Now you got the chance to, to, to see. I think, in the back of my mind, I, I, I think I'm the, I'm the player, or I could be that player. Mm-hmm. But you never really know until you're, you're in that situation where, you know, um, the game's on the line, yeah. um, balls hit to you, your, your team's depending on you. And, and, you know, coming here in 1982 was, <clears throat> it was a godsend for me, you know, because... It was kind of a perfect storm. We were coming off of uh, a situation where, you know, Gary had the problems with the team here, and I, I had problems getting a contract in, in San Diego. The Crocs were not the best. <laughs> it was a little a little dicey. Got yes. A little dicey. Um, but here again, it's it's part of the it's part of the journey. 
you know, the, 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 the road can be winding. Mm-hmm. And it was a winding road, but as, as you go on that journey, you, you learn things. You, you learn that things have changed, yet they remain the same. You got the certain things you got to deal with no matter what. And it's not so much that it happened, it's how you deal with it. And, and stuff, so I, I just kept my, my focus straight ahead and being able to do what the guy who gave me my opportunity told me the day that he got fired in spring training, and that guy was Alvin Dark. Hmm. He called me in, and he says, look, this is baseball, and these things happen all the time. He said, son, I've seen a lot of them come and go. And he said, I was pretty good myself. Yeah, sure was. He said, but you're going to be a great one. He says, continue to do what you've done to this point. Pick that ball up and throw it across the diamond. And you're going to be a great one. And I kind of took that and, and, and knowing that there was somebody that believed in me, that had given me that opportunity. So I, I wanted to take advantage of that. And, and getting back to, you know, whether or not you take ground balls. I took ground balls every day. Yeah. I took ground balls every day because I did not want to lose my what what a God had given me. I didn't want to take it for granted. I never took it for granted. I, I can remember one of my teammates one day said to me, why do you continue to work so hard? I believe, I have always believed that if I sign a contract, I have to, I want to prove to myself that I'm worthy of it. Yeah. So my goal was for every contract that I sign, I wanted to make sure that I got better. And I tell young people that if money is your driving force, you will never get the most out of your God-given talent. you got to love what you do. Yeah. I love what I did. And it was, it was wonderful going to the ballpark every day because this is, this is what I was put here to do. And... And we kind of jumping around here. But no, that's typical. It's, just like, it's anyway. just like it's just like an all star game. You know, I hear guys say, "Well, you know, I don't know if I really want to go to the all star game." And I'm saying to myself, "What is that about? Hmm. Here's the stage. Yeah, this, this is the stage. Yeah, everything's on display here. Now, now you prove your worth." And when people take their time to punch their name on your name out on a ballot, you have a responsibility to go and play to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. That's something I never took for granted. I always want to be on the stage where the best is because I want to know where I stand. And and if if you don't if you don't go and participate, how do you know where you stand? So I always it was always an honor. And and I was fortunate enough to get the the I was the highest vote getter on two occasions, as a defensive player. Yeah, as a defensive player. Yeah, got more votes than anybody. That's unheard of. It's unheard of. Respectable Belanger, but that did not happen to him. Who's that? Belanger. We mentioned Belanger. He was a great player, but he didn't have that kind of notoriety. But, but that type of that type of thing. Yeah. I and I think that that came from people realizing how much. How much I love what I did, yeah. and how much I wanted to make sure 
that for baseball fans, not just my fans, but for baseball fans to be entertained when they came to the ballpark. You know, there's an, an, an entertainment element to what we do. And my job was to, to go out there every day. You know, for 19 years, I, I had this thing of asking myself, did I do the best I could today? And my answer for 19 years was yes. Didn't mean we won every day. Right. But I know that when I left the ball field that day, that I had done the very best that I could do that day. And there was nothing else that I could do. I could sleep at night knowing. Well, I didn't sleep a lot of nights because, you know, if we didn't win, you know, maybe I, there was something I could have done a little bit more that, that would have helped us win. But I, I was, you know, I knew that I didn't leave anything out there. I tried to run every ball out. And if you do that, and you do that every day, it, it makes it easier to live when, when you walk away from it. You talked about the entertainment element of the sport. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know you. We're just mad. But you don't strike me as a Ricky Henderson-level personality. And I, by the way, I love him. Ricky's my guy. I love him. But Ricky's Ricky. That's right. He's on this level. But you're talking about entertaining. Let me say this yeah. here. It, you know, when Ricky, was to, when Ricky does what Ricky does... It's not really showing anybody up. No, it's, not at all. it's the thing that really that's it's swag. It, yeah, it's yeah, swag. It's what it's what drives Ricky. That's yeah. what makes Ricky Ricky. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing. Oh, I love it. Very entertaining, and I, I think it's a little different today. I mean, it's a, today I think that it's, question a, was it's, coming. it's yes. about <laughs> it's about showing people up. Yeah. and the one thing that we always had back in in, in our era was that we had respect. Right. For our our opponent, doesn't matter who it was. Our goal was to beat them, right. but you beat them with respect. Yeah, that's where it all starts. And um, you know, to watch people like Ricky, I used to love to watch uh, Guillermo Montañez. Oh wow, that's yeah. a happy time. <laughs> yeah. Montañez. Yeah, you know, um, people like that, Tito Fuentes. Oh yeah. Um, these are guys that you know, Daryl Thomas. They're flair. They're flair. They yeah. they have flair to to the way that they played the game, and there was a real appreciation for it. Yeah. You know, we as players sometimes when we were in battle, you know, you, you get labeled a hot dog or whatever. But it was the entertainment value that that they brought that that I think that uh, endeared people to the game. And I get that's the easy segue then to the backflip, which mm -hmm. became a trademark of yours. Um, you're a guy who works his butt off, mm -hmm. absolutely dedicated to the fundamentals, specifically not trying to show anybody out. Right. When this first was discussed, mm -hmm. was there ambivalence? Was it like, that'd be fun, but I don't know. What that do you was get? it. I yeah. had that. I had that hesitation. Yeah. And I had that hesitation because I didn't want the label of being a hot dog. Right. You know, because I, I didn't look at myself as a hot dog player. Did, you know, did I, you know, yeah, you know, that was a good play or yeah, that was a good sure. hit. I mean, that's just, that's just a natural thing. But I didn't want to be labeled as a hot dog and I, because I know that you bring more attention to yourself when, you're, when you do that. And that was never my goal to bring more attention. Right. Uh, to, to give you the background on that, growing up in South Central Los Angeles, I lived across the street from a wood factory mm -hmm. where I used to go over and tumble in the sawdust. Uh, they built pallets. And so we would get um, inner, inner tubes, uh, um, 
bike inner tubes, yeah. tire inner tubes, and we'd patch them up, and then we'd blow them up. And then my brothers would sit on each side of it, and you'd get more spray. <laughs> or you'd take a plank and put it between the stacks of wood over there and use that as your, as your springboard. And that's really how I learned to tumble. Just do some other silly things as a kid. You know, we used to have these picket fences with the spikes on the top. And we used to say, hey, I bet you can't jump over that. <laughs> That's how you learn how to jump very high. <laughs> Risk aversion. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, we used to do those things as kids. Yeah. And when I got to the big leagues in 1978, my rookie year, after we worked out, we had to run a mile, two miles or something mm-hmm. after we got done. And I wasn't particularly fond of running long distances. You know, I had speed, but I, I didn't like long distance running. I never did that in school. Sure. You know, cross country. Cross country. You know, why would I hurt myself like that? Yeah. That would be easy. I don't need that. But um, I, I knew that I could do it. So after we got done, I was one of the young, younger guys on the team, and I had Dave Winfield, I had Gaylord Perry, Oof. and Raleigh Finger. Wow. All these old guys giving me a hard time about the fact that I'm a young guy. Get up here, get up in front. You should be, you know, you should be in the front of the pack. So I hope you could outrun Gaylord Perry. Yes, I could. He's yes, a pretty great pitcher, but yeah, actually, you know, great pitcher. He yeah. actually won the Cy Young in 1979. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, to show them I wasn't tired, I did a round off back flip. Now, Gene Tennis was also a teammate. Sure. He had girls that were involved in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. So he wanted me to show the girls that I could do it at some point in time, which I wasn't able to do it during the season. Yeah. But the final day of the season, which was Fan Appreciation Day, he said, man, he and the PR guy said, that would, that would be good if you did that going out to the position. I go, whoa, whoa. No, no. This is a chickens. This is a chickens town in right. San Diego. Yeah, that's right. He was the entertainment. Yeah. So I did not want to infringe upon the chickens gig, you know. And uh, so I was real reluctant to do it. Yeah. But they said, "Hey, man, no, no, no. People would love it. They, they'd love it." And sure enough, they talked me into doing it. People liked it so much they asked me to do it opening day the following year. And lo and behold. A trademark was was born. Yeah. And it was born reluctantly because it wasn't something that I sat down one day and said, you know what, I think I can bring some attention to myself by doing a round-off backflip. But I think that it it started showing people my enthusiasm, my love for what it was that I I did. And I I could do it with a cap on, a glove on, too, you know. So uh, that's how that got started. Uh, it wasn't something that I sat down and said one day, you know what, I'm going to open the baseball season with a flip. And here in this town, it became, um, that was the, the the one thing that once that happened, they knew that baseball season was here, was upon us. That's great. It's, you know, and we talked about the potential ambivalence of it, and, you know, we also talked about the current era. You will see guys, especially if they're from certain cultures, like if you watch a little baseball classic, the way that the Colombian team would celebrate a run or a single or a home run, it's intense, man. It's yeah. a real celebration. In the WBC, it could stand, but in Major League Baseball, you get a guy flipping his bat, you might get one in your ear the next That's right. Which frustrates me because I love exuberance. <laughs> I think that you embrace all that stuff. So I'm wondering, you know, it's great that the fans liked it. Mm-hmm. It's great that your teammates liked it. Did opponents get pissed off at you? 
You know, we're doing the flipping yeah. stuff? Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. No? I, I think it became... I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that because you you probably always got somebody over there sitting around going, who the hell does he think he is? Right. You know, and you I, started doing it before you became a true superstar. Exactly, you were a good player, but exactly. not that Yeah, so there was something that, I, yeah. that, that, that I was always doing. So yeah. it wasn't... You know, I became a superstar, and, and now you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it to another level. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I think that people accepted it for what it, what it was. Yeah, uh, it was part of the entertainment value. Yeah. Um, although I did, there were some instances where, when you play your rival teams, you know, um, and this was before we had these phones and. Yeah, all the technology and stuff that we have today. You know, I can remember somebody writing or saying something about you and your little flipping son, or so, you know, <laughs> something. So there's always something. There's always something like that. But for the most part, uh, the majority of people enjoy it, especially when I have a little old lady come up to me and go, "I I know who you are. Oh, that's great. You're you're that guy that does the flip." You know, so <laughs> I wish you'd see all these things. It's an audio format, but it's very funny. Yes, but but I mean that's what that's what made it uh, made it special. And and you know, for me, as I've gone through the years, it's the greatest thing in the world. And and I consider us some of the luckiest people in the world, the fortunate people, because we do something that make memories that last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. When even to, to this day, you know, people come up to me when I'm out at the grocery store and they say, you know what, thank you so much for the entertainment. Thank you so much for making me a baseball fan. Mm -hmm. What else is there? Doesn't get any. It doesn't get any better than that. And I say to you, that happens to me every day. That's so cool. And that, you know, that's what a blessing that is. To but people are chill about it, right? They're not over the no, top. No, they're not that's over the great. top. And and I think the other thing too for me is, I was always approachable. Yeah. You know, I was always approachable, and and I wasn't that intimidating. There are certain guys that Andre Dawson they have, they who have looks a, that way. The look, yeah, it's not that way at all. I call nice it. Guy. You know what I say? That I call it the look. Yeah. Andre's one. Yeah. Eddie's one. Frank is one. Yeah. Yeah. The look. They're all good dudes, but by they're the way. all great. Yeah. They're all course. great guys. Once you're able to get Dawson's ahead, I think it's always. It, to me, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. You know, to, to ward people off so that they don't get too comfortable. Yeah. But once you get past that, you realize what great guys they are, and um, that's the game. Yeah. Um, you know, talent, hard work, all that is going to play no matter where you were. Mm -hmm. But you go to a team, starting the 82 season, not only a good team, wow, could there ever be a team more, a team in a stadium more suited for your skills? We're going to play on hard turf and 100 degrees, so the ball's going to be scooting through there, it's going to take advantage of your defense. And your speed, and you've got a manager. All right, we'll put Jack Clark in the lineup, or Pedro Guerrero, or whatever. Everybody else is going to be Jack Rabbit. Every single other person, McGee, all these guys. Tommy Hurley, 108 <laughs> RBIs with one home run. That's my favorite thing ever. He had nine. He had nine. nine, nine he had nine. Because so many dudes got on base, and so you, you just hit in the gap, and you well, run see, forever. That's where the game has changed yeah. a lot. You know, the game has changed because. You know, it's 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 not get him get on, get him over, get him in. Yeah. You know, I, and and this is my own take on it. You're a National League guy, mm -hmm. right? 
being from Montreal. Yeah. When you build a team in a National League ballpark, you got a lot. You got to take a lot of things into consideration because the park, first of all, is going to be bigger. Yeah. So you got to have somebody who can cover some ground, who has some speed. Yeah. If you're building a team from an American League standpoint, you want that guy who can hit it a country mile. Sure. So one team's built from a defensive standpoint, although the goal is to, to, to get somebody who is both good offensively and good defensively. The five tools. The tools. That, yeah. That's what you're looking for. That's where Montreal was always so good. Yeah. But in the American League, you're looking for that guy who can hit the three-run homer. So he's probably going to be bigger. Bye, bye, Balboni. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and and going to clog the bases. Oh, sure is. <laughs> you know, so I think that what has happened with baseball is that we've gotten such an American League influence yeah. in the overall game of baseball, and I'm talking about front office, field managers, mm-hmm. and all of that, that even here now in, in St. Louis... It's more of an uh, American League flavor to the type of baseball that you play. Right. It's very stagnated. Yep. There's not that, that energy, that, 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 that being able to score runs without hitting the ball out of a ballpark. Score from second on a wild pitch. We right. were playing like that. Those, yeah. things, the, yeah. you know, those things become very important. It, it's always important for any team to be able to score runs without hitting the ball out of the ballpark. You've got to be able to manufacture them at some point in time because... When you find that guy on the mound who's very, very tough on you, yeah. you may only get to second base once that evening. Okay, you lead off with a double. Yeah. Now the next guy hits a ground ball, get him over. Now the next guy hit a fly ball, you got one one to nothing. Yeah. You may end up winning that ball game one to nothing. Yeah. You that got may, Scherzer. Yeah, that might happen. That could happen. Yeah. You know, so you, the, the runs that you score are very, very precious. And you've got to be able to do that night in and night out without hitting that ball out of the ballpark. When you depend on hitting that ball out of the ballpark on a consistent basis, that can be short-circuited with a guy who goes out and can pitch to a scouting report, yeah. can, can hit his spots. I mean, that can be short-circuited very quickly. Yeah. And I think that that's what, that's what happens. Now, when you're scoring runs, oh, boy, it's easy. We just, they're, they're hitting my bat. They're hitting your bat. Yeah. But if you, you go through a stretch of where, you know, you run into three or four tough pitchers like for us, you know, we go on the road to Los Angeles, you go west, and boy, it could be a rough, yeah. it could be a rough go. D-backs too now have a whole murder right. of pitchers. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I mean, it could be a rough trip. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's important to have, um, to have the ability to, 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 to manufacture runs. And, and the way that you do that is speed is a constant yeah. Speed is a constant. And if you got a team that was built from an offensive standpoint, you're probably not going to be that good defensively. So now really all you have to do is put the ball in play. But it's tough to put the ball in play when you're striking out 300 times a year. Right. Which got, is acceptable now in a way that it wasn't in the 1980s. There you go. Yeah. It's very acceptable yeah. to strike out 300 times a year. Mm-hmm. That's why it's easy now to put on a shift. A shift? Are you kidding me? Oh, you would eat the shift. A shift? Bond, 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 bond. A shift? <laughs> you hit 400. <laughs> Boy, you, you welcome that. Yeah. I mean, you welcome that. And I think it, 
it just speaks to the lack of ability by guys or the willingness of guys yeah. to, to work on their game to where when they give you a whole side of the field, you don't even have to hit it hard. It's just dunk it. Just dunk it over. Win it, eat your own. Yeah. It's it's crazy, yeah. you know, to watch. It's so frustrating watching. Yeah. And you just watch guys hit into the shift and pick it up and throw them out because they can't run. Yeah. Well, and the, the prevailing trends can get to guys, too. So um, this that also kills me. So, you know, during the so-called steroids era, home runs were up or whatever. We've curbed that. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a epidemic the way it was. We're on pace for uh, more home runs. I mean, we're on the well, no, 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 no. Uh, It's not like zero. <laughs> but we're on pace for more home runs this season than ever before, including 2000, which was the peak of guys weighing 280 pounds. Now, studies have come out. Speaking of juice, it's the baseball that's juiced. Because offense was down, and people are saying, this stinks, I don't like this. So now we're in this era. So it's interesting to me, I, I mean no particular disrespect to these guys, but Logan Morris and Justin Smoke, Yonder Alonso, Brett Gardner, who profiles like you, a little dude, this guy's on pace for 30, 40 home runs. It's hard to get away from that. That's a drug, man. That's very If you suddenly were blessed with the ability, for whatever reason, to 35 home runs, your shift talk and butt thing is wonderful, but you'd be like, cool, I'm going to hit 35 home runs. So I, I'm interested in I like to think, Joe, which team goes against the grain, yeah. That I'm smart enough, Yeah. if that does happen, to realize that yeah. I'm not a home run hitter. Yeah. But if balls are juiced, yes. if you just... If you just put the, do what you're supposed to do from a fundamental standpoint, then then that that's that's nice. Yeah, I you know I have no problem with that. I just say hey, okay, I'm gonna just I'm gonna swing down on this thing here, and I'm gonna let it do what it do. Yeah, and I think that that's what 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 good players do. You know, yeah. they're fundamentally sound, and and when you're fundamentally sound, John, which I don't think a lot of guys are these days. Yeah. And, and I, I, I say that because I see so many guys take the same swing 0 and 2 that they take 1 and 0. You know who choked up more than anybody? Joey Lotto, who's probably the best hitter that there is. Well, let me say this here. Yeah. I had to tell a guy one day, I had a visit with a, with a young man, and I said, one of the things we talked about was being able to cut down on strikeouts. Yeah. If you hit 315 yeah. and you strike out 220, 230 times, if you cut that in half, yeah, now we're talking 340. Yeah. Okay? He says, well, I don't really like to choke up with like two strikes, so I still want to do damage. I said, well, okay, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you something to think about. There was a guy who hit 73 home runs, <laughs> and he was choked up on every pitch. He's my guy. I love him. Big Bonds fan. Yeah, so, yeah. so don't tell me... <laughs> That you can't do damage. You got more control. Yeah. Same with Vada. Yeah. Vada's power too. Not Vada's power, but yeah. yeah. But you got you yeah. got control. Yeah. So you gotta change your you gotta change the way you think. Yeah. You know, you gotta you, you, you gotta realize that hey, I can put pressure on the defense if I put it in play. If I don't put it in play, who am I putting pressure on? I also want to ask you, I just grew up in the base stealing era. Reigns, Ricky, all these guys are my guys. I've had Reigns in the pockets, also had Kenny Lofton. Mm-hmm. I love that dude. That guy's 
Three three hundred can't get a job. Something wrong there. Uh, for real. That's that's a whole other story. I completely agree with you. He's an outspoken guy, but to his benefit, I think he's super smart. And when I talk to people who can run, I always ask them about tells, like in poker. What is the thing that would tip you off? Now is the time for me to go. A lot of them would talk about the crinkle of the pants. You could you look oh, and it's time to go. Reigns would have this or whatever. Did you have one thing where you read the picture? Was it just like a whole universe of things that made you say, "All right, time for me to take off." No, you know what's great is when you can have a Tim Raines or Ricky Henderson or Vince Coleman. Yeah. We had a Vince Coleman. Yeah. Who, one night, they threw over the first base 17 times. Oh, so you could watch that. <laughs> that helps you. 17, 17, 17 times. That's one of the ways. 17 times. So they threw over 17 times. <laughs> Number 18, he takes off. They pitch out. And he takes off and he steals out. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> And so, I used to ask him, I said, Vince, you know, what is it, what is it that you see? He said, well, with this guy, this is what happens. With this guy, this is what happens. So you learn from the great ones what it is that you're looking for on particular guys. That's all part of the learning process. Yeah. So... You you got to be a student of the game, and if you're a student of the game, you look at the game's greats, and you try and figure out what it is that the greats do. That's what you want to. That's what you want to replicate. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because people talk about pitching as being a game of smarts or catches. There's certain labels that get put on, guys, and you don't hear base dealing discussed that way. It's oh wow, Ricky's a great athlete. Vince Coleman's a great athlete. It requires tons of studies, tons they, of it. They, they, and, and it's not computers, it is, you're pointing to your head. Kenny said, I didn't have a... You don't have a phone. You don't have, you don't have an iPhone. No, iPhone? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I have to go and look at the video. No, 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 your video is here. Yeah. Everything is here. Yeah. You, and, and you, and you gotta, you gotta remember, you know, I, I speaking of memory, I did have a, a teammate of mine that was a pretty good hitter. Yeah. And, uh... We face a guy one week, and then, you know, the next week we go and face him. And he's hit a home run off of him the last time we faced him. And uh, he come to me and he goes, who is this guy? I go, who is this guy? See, you just hit a home run off of him last week. I don't know that guy. But it's... It, 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 you can do it that way, too. There's Bobby some guys, did it that way. Yeah, but I'm saying that there you do have guys who just can, can do it naturally yeah. without having to do that. But yep. you're real students of the game. The guys that are going to go on and, and be great at what they do, yeah. they are students of the game. You know, it's like Tony Gwynn. Oh, God. You're talking about a student. Yeah. He was one of the toughest guys in baseball for me to defense. Because if I moved over here, he hit it over here. If I moved over here, he hit it over there. I just start moving. <laughs> Try and make him start thinking a little bit. Yeah. And when you get players that that are that that adept at what they do, you talk to them. You talk to them. Yeah. To see what it is that you can get from that that's going to make you better as a player. Yeah. And you had a whole cohort of base dealers. I mean, not just Vince. Willie could run. Her could run a little bit. You know, Whitey, yeah. Whitey did a great job of, Whitey Herzog did a great job of assembly. You know, it, it was kind of odd when the uh, Royals won the World Series. I was listening to the broadcast, and they were saying, 
oh boy, we've never seen anything like this. I'm saying to myself, in the same state. <laughs> in the same, exactly what it was teed up for. Because the, the, the roles had just come full circle. Yeah. They became, they, they went full circle because they originally was assembled by Whitey Herzog. He put that type of team together in Kansas City because it was such a spacious ballpark. Mm-hmm. Well, he, all he did is he took it across the state over here to St. Louis where he did the same thing. It was the same formula. It wasn't anything different. It wasn't anything new. Yeah. And it just blew me away that they sat there and they were talking about it as if it was the first time <laughs> that they'd ever seen anything like that. Oh, this guy's taking the extra base. They threw it. You see how he creeped down the line and when he threw it, he took off. It wasn't new. Yeah. Just we, had, we had guys that but, scored from second base on sacrifice fly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't new. Uh, just as an aside, I did an event last summer at the Negro Leagues uh, mm-hmm. Museum. I love that place. Oh, the best. I have Reigns and Dawson on stage, I'm sitting between them, so seven-year-old me loves it, but the... I love Bobby Kendrick. Oh, my God. Oh. I want him to be my dad. Oh, He's God. the coolest. Sharpest dressed dude, also. Well, he was just like Buck. He he, yeah, He's just like Buck. Right, unfortunately, I never got to meet Buck. Oh, boy. I mean, yes. that's where that's where he got it from, and, and he's like that all the time. And I, I, I did a thing with him, uh, uh, when was it? What were we doing? About three, four months ago. Okay. Where we went down to um, Augusta. Oh, nice. And Easy Go Golf Carts is located there. And I'm a very good friend of yeah. mine. And he's got me on Augusta National. Oh. He's from Augusta. He lives in Kansas City now. Cool. But he was Buck, one of Buck's best friends. He oh, called wow. him, Buck used to call him George Boy. <laughs> you know, he's a, uh, a southern white guy who yeah. has an accent. And, and you know, they, they developed this close relationship. Well, anyway... We, we were speaking to a group of kids at Easy Go, and it's a program that they've come up with where kids are kicked out of school and they have nowhere to go. Oh, wow. So what they've done is come up with a program that take the kid, these kids in, they teach them a craft, and then when they if they graduate, put them to work. Hmm. And Bobby Kendrick was one of the guys that, that came and spoke. Um, and I'm going to tell you, he did a, a fantastic job of talking about the Negro Leagues and oh god it just it was just I was, I was just sitting there as a fan just listening to you want to run through a wall when you hear that guy talk if he, if he was a coach if he was a manager or a coach or he'd win right. Super Bowls he'd win World Series he's just he has that way of inspiring you it's for your listeners you know if you ever get a chance to if you're anywhere near Kansas, Kansas City, City it's amazing the Negro League Museum you got Arthur Bryant's first then you put over there I have a cool Papa Bell figurines in my house. And I, that, that of all the Negro League legends, yeah. the story of yeah, you turn off the light, you'd be in bed. You'd be in bed. Yeah, you know, pretty soon he's gonna be sleeping before, <laughs> before the light go off. I love, those, <laughs> I love those stories. Oh, what I was uh, we got stuck here, but I was gonna say that I met Amos Otis at that event. Today, Biggie, yes. Ao and uh, and he led the crowd in call and response. He would say Ao, and they go Ao, and he was just like had you know oh, that yeah. hands. There's something about that that speed and athleticism era, the Royals teams, the Cardinals teams, some of the Expos teams, it's just, for better or for worse, that's what I grew up with. So, yes, I love Bonds, but I almost love 1991 Bonds more. Because yeah. he hit 30 and he'd also steal 30. Still 30. Yeah. That's right. He, he, was, uh, he was one of those guys. Uh, real quickly. Yeah. Um, A.O. Yes. Our connection. Yes. 
Mobile, Alabama. And wait I a minute. Just, was he, are, were you one of the people that lived on his street? Or he said like all these people. He used to take batting practice at a, at a school called Council Elementary. Yeah. Across the street from where my aunt used to live. He, I used to throw balls back over the fence to him. <laughs> That's was amazing. Yeah. He said, like the Aaron family's from there too, well, right? You got Aaron. Yeah. McCovey. Gee. Uh, A.O. Yeah. Tommy A.G. Tommy A.G. Billy Williams. Oh, my God. Whistler Alabama. Yeah. Myself. We own 2% of the Hall of Fame. Dang. <laughs> That's an amazing That's thing. Right. Yeah. That's like the usual Griffey thing, right? That town in Pennsylvania, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Little town. That, that's really cool. Um, a couple more. I want to ask you, I've asked this question of different players too, especially in your case, your game was so built on athleticism. You weren't like a big burly guy in mm-hmm. your home runs. So you can tell when speed starts to taper and all that. You love the game so much. You're playing for such a long time. When you come to that moment, you're like, I guess this is it. How do you make that decision? How do you figure out, all right, you know what? It's time for me to step aside because that is such a, the confidence and almost arrogance in a good way required to be a high-level athlete versus the self-awareness that, you know what? It's my time. Well, you know what? I think great athletes in being honest with themselves. Yeah. You know, because if, if I'm honest with myself, then I know that I'm not the same athlete I was two years ago. So, if you're working with a manager or coaches that also understand that, that's when you start looking for more quality than quantity. Yeah. Knowing that I'm not going to be able to play as much today as I did yesterday. So you hope that when you get to that point, that you do have a manager or a coach or somebody that respects what you have done to that point, to where he's willing to work with you to say that you're one of the ones that have put your time and, and stuff in. Now it's us extracting that knowledge from you and mm. passing that knowledge on to the younger people. What happens so often is that when great players reach that point, they're so quick now to kick them out. Yeah. They're very quick to kick them out. Rather than than taking the knowledge that they have and and let them removing them slowly, but allowing them to work with the younger people that are coming up to share that knowledge and stuff with them because there's value there. Of course. And, you know, I think all of us, especially guys that have, had, that, that have made the Hall of Fame, they work extremely hard to be able to walk away from the game on their own terms. That's really, that's, that's really the goal, to be able to say, you know what, I know that my time is here and now, and the great ones know when that time is. I would never, ever disrespect a game to the point of where you have to wheel me out there in a wheelchair. Right. I respect the game too much. And I, I'd like to think that people that had a chance to watch me play realized that I wasn't one of those hanger honors. If I couldn't play, I was going to say, you know what, as much as I love it and, and I want to be out there, I can't do it anymore. But there are a lot of guys that play and work hard at being able to 
to play beyond 40. You know, that was really kind of the goal, is to play beyond 40. Because that's the number that, that people have put on it. And so it be, kind of becomes your goal. Well, I can do this beyond 40, and I'm going to prove to you that I can do it beyond 40. Now, beyond 40, you're not going to be able to do it when you only like you were 20. Yeah. And it's not fair to expect a guy to be able to do what he was able to do at 20 and at 40. Well, you know, it doesn't cover as much ground. No <laughs> Well, you know, it doesn't run as fast. No <laughs> You know, it's, 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 it's just it's one of those things. So as a guy gets older, you know, it's important for a manager or a coach to realize or have a communication with them to say, hey, uh, you know, some people say that, well, older guys are hard to manage. No, they're not. Because a great player, the one thing he's not going to do is not going to embarrass himself. Hmm. Great player is going to say, you know what? Uh, God, boy, that ball got to me a lot quicker than I thought. And, boy, you know, I, I didn't get to that ball. Why didn't I get to that ball? You didn't get to that ball because, you know, time has caught up with you. Yeah. So that's why now it's important for a manager to understand that, hey, now it may be time to, to pull back a little bit. Maybe now he needs two two and a half, maybe three days off. Yeah. But he still has value. You don't just kick him to the curb. Or the third base becomes a first base, and left fielder becomes a DH, what have you. Right. A um, couple more. So, uh, first of all, I'm excited that I'm going to see you again in four weeks in Cooperstown. That's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, my man Tim Raines is going in. Long yeah. time coming for that guy. Yeah. And um, I want to ask you about that day, about... The day that you are inducted and the baseball world is looking on, the thing that would get me, you know, I've been to a couple of inductions. I went to Ripken and Gwynn, which is, mm-hmm. was the biggest one. I yeah. was huge. Mm-hmm. And I went to Pedro's as well. I love Pedro. But it's, you're looking out at the crowd, but the people behind you, my God. <laughs> that's really the thing. That, that, that's really it's, the thing. And you know what? Wow. Yeah, yeah, you know what, Jonah? <laughs> yeah. What you... The, the guys back here yeah. that show up that day, yeah. it speaks to what they think of you. Mm. The guys that show up, because all of them don't always come. Right. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's 95 yeah. degrees. Yeah. And most so of them might be 80 years old. It's 80. Yeah. These guys are old. Yeah. But you look back there. Yeah. And I look back there. I'm standing up there, and I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> Golly, there's, oh, look at that, Billy Williams, there's Reggie, and I'm standing there and I'm going, I never in my life, yeah, never in my life growing up said to myself, I'm going to make the Hall of Fame, mm. I'm going to be one of them guys, they were always those guys, yeah. They were always in a, in, a, in a world all unto themselves. Mm-hmm. I never looked at myself as one of those people. Why would I? But on that day, when you're looking at the crowd of people, and then you look back here and you go, I made it. I did something. What a great feeling. Yeah. What a great feeling to be able to call yourself one of them. Now, there's still classes within that within that. Yeah, Henry Aaron is Henry Aaron. He will always be Henry Aaron. Yeah, Sandy Kofi. Sure. You know, there's there's different there's different levels. Yeah. 
And to be now considered, you know, a, a, a Hall of Famer, I don't think that any of us, well, I guess there's a couple that probably sit there because, you know, I give Dave a hard time about this, you know, Winfield. Yeah. I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Reggie would probably say that, you know, I'm going to be a Hall of I, I would, I would, I don't think that the majority of guys, when they're playing, yeah. are saying, I'm playing this game to be a Hall of Famer. In our era, in the era before us, it was all about being the best that you could be. Now, in Gibson's in those guys' days, yeah. and, and, and Lou, when they were coming up, even if they had great years, there wasn't a guarantee they were going to get a raise. No. No free agency. You have no leverage. You had no real leverage. Yeah. So, you know, that's why guys like Gibson would finish his own game. You know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to give this to somebody else um, to to screw up. If I'm going to screw up, I'll screw up myself. Yeah. So, you know, none of those guys, I don't think, ever, if you asked them, thought about when they were coming up that, hey, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. Mm. You know, I'm going to just be the very best baseball player I can be. I'm going to get the most out of my talent. And if that meant that the most that we could make was $50,000, we're going to be the best $50,000 a year players that we could be. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting stuff. Um, you, uh, so one one more question, which is a promotional thing, and then I'll ask you the question I ask at the end of every podcast. So uh, you are you are here repping Kingsford. Mm-hmm. The campaign is hashtag Best of Baseball. So if you want to weigh in on Twitter with, hey, what is it that you like about baseball? Whatever, feel free. Uh, so yeah, hit me with uh, what you got. What you got going on? You know, I partnered with Kingford, and it was all about pretty much what we, you and I just talked about. Yeah. You know, it's what makes this game so great is that we can sit and have a debate about what's good about the game, what's bad about the game, what you like, what you don't like, um, who's your favorite, who who you consider the best, and that's basically what. Um, what we'd like to, to continue to have. Now, we, we had a contest earlier in the year where a person could win a, a, a great trip to the All-Star Game to be able to hang out with your with some of your, your favorite players mm-hmm. and stuff, and we've had the winner now. But we want people to continue to have this conversation about what they think about the game of baseball. Because a lot of times there are things that come up that we never thought about before that... That, that people who sit around, who love the game like we do, sit around and, and they, they come up with these ideas and stuff. And we'd like for them to share that. Uh, uh, and it's hashtag um, baseball. And uh, it's, it's, it's what the game is all about. It's all about sitting down and talking numbers, talking who, who, who they thought was the best at, at what they did, and, and, and reminiscing and bringing up names and stuff out of the past that you would thought were long gone. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about AO. We're talking about Ken Oberfeld. We're bringing out we're bringing we're all, bring all those people. Yeah. All those people out. You know, so um, it, it was, uh, it, it's grilling season, of course, and yeah. no better time to, to sit around and, and talk about the, the game of baseball than, uh, than here and now. It's summer and, you know, the weather's great and, uh, and then can spend some time with family. So one more question, which I do at the end of every podcast, is I always ask the guest for a life tip, a nugget of wisdom. I meet you somewhere, I say, I'm Jonah, I'm Ozzy, nice to meet you. 
my deal. Well, my deal is this, this, and I believe in that. And I say, well, what is your deal? What is your life that you want to be inspirational? Maybe it's something silly. Maybe it's a little frivolous thing that you do when you wake up in the morning. But it's quintessentially you. It's your one thing, the one Aussie thing. What do you got? The one thing that I, that I always leave with young people mm-hmm. is that you're only going to get out of life what you put in. If you don't put anything in, you shouldn't expect anything in return. And the greatest, the greatest gift is the, the ability to give back. Hashtag best of baseball. I like it. Giving back is wonderful. Um, and it's so cool. You know, you did what you did. You made your money. You had your fame. And you could have faded into obscurity. I, I, it's, again, it's an audio podcast. I smiled so widely when you just talked about being in the grocery store and getting stopped or whatever. Giving back can be donating to charity. That's all true. But making people happy just by being present is awesome. It's and awesome. You know, and, and before we go... Yeah, please. And, and here again, we're, we're talking about people sharing their 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 ideas yeah. and their love for the game. and um, Hashtag best of baseball. Yes, sir. Um one of the things that I that, that has happened to me over the years is when you get out of the game, you don't know exactly what that next thing is. Mm-hmm. So you're always in search of. <clears throat> I become the president of the Gateway Chapter, the PGA here in St. Louis, where what I'm trying to do is expose kids to not only the game but the business of golf. Mm-hmm. Something that I was never exposed to as a kid. Right. And we're currently trying to build a nine-hole multi-recreational golf facility in the inner city. That's awesome. That will allow kids the the opportunity, and you know we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of everything there. And then this other thing, you know, you talk about giving back. Is about five years ago I met some guys from Paducah, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy was a chiropractor, and he says to me. Why don't you come to Paducah, which is three hours here from St. Louis? Mm-hmm. I had just gotten some uh, surgery on my shoulder, and I tore my rotator cuff in '85. I played from '85 to '96 with the torn rotator cuff, <laughs> and I didn't get it done until you know maybe ten years ago because it was starting to affect my golf game. You know, this is priorities. This is got, got my priorities. Eleven years of your private baseball—that's not important. <laughs> no, that's this not important. is important. <laughs> It was golf. But anyway, <clears throat> he said, come down and we'll, we'll do some PRP on your shoulder. and You won't have a problem with that anymore. Yeah. So I went down. They gave me the PRP. My shoulder starts feeling better. I start hitting drives 275, 280 Dang. consistently and, and stuff. And so there were so many people that were going from here down to Paducah. But they said, well, if we open a place in St. Louis, would you be willing to partner with us? I partnered with them. And it's been a year going on, a year and a half now, that I opened a place called the Ozzie Smith IMAC Regeneration Center, Integrated Medicine and Chiropractic, where I've seen people that were wheelchair-bound that started getting PRP and stem cell. They've been able to get up and get their lives back. Science is the best, man. It's un—I love science. It, I mean, 
it brings tears to my eyes thinking about people that have MS who get stem cell and now they have their lives back. Wow. Amazing. So that to me is really, really what has been a blessing. It's it's like a miracle. It's it's like miracle work and watching this happen. Now my name's on the building, but it's the people that work in there. Right. It's the staff that do it every day. And when I walk out here, people say I, I just I, I, I've been to your clinic. You know, I'm I'm going through treatment, so forth and so on. So it's touching lives in a real way, and I doesn't get any better than that. Well, and it, it it sometimes it can be portrayed as a contradiction that you've got capitalism on this side, you've got social good on this side. You're allowed to have two ideas at the same time and make them blend. It's all good if it's a for-profit enterprise, it and it's even better if you can make people happy and healthy. It's fantastic. We should all aspire to such it's things. It's a wonderful, I mean, it's, it's one of the best things that I've ever done. He told me, he says, you know, you watch. He says, what you're going to be able to do with this thing here is, is nothing short of a miracle. That's great. And it's been wonderful. Well, sir, what an honor and a pleasure to get to chat with you. Uh, I was uh, optimistic. I heard great things about you, and you exceeded them by fifty five dollars. Well, thank you, sir. And I look forward to seeing you in Cooperstown and the show. All right, thank you very much. Ciao.